Chapter 6 of Immortality and the Unseen World by W. O. E. Westerly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Spirits of the Dead and Their Abode. Chapter 6 The Rephaim. The Rephaim is the name given in the Old Testament to what would nowadays be called the spirits of the departed. In order to get some clear ideas about the meaning of this word, we must briefly examine the passages of the Old Testament in which it occurs. These are not very many in number, so we can refer to them all. 1. The Rephaim, a name given to the departed. We will take first those passages in which the word is applied to the departed. Job chapter 26 verse 5. The Rephaim tremble beneath the waters and the inhabitants thereof. See also verse 4. Psalm 88 verse 10. Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the Rephaim arise and praise thee? Compare Psalm 115 verse 7. Note that the dead and the Rephaim are parallel terms. Isaiah chapter 14 verses 9 and 10. Sheol from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the Rephaim. All they shall answer and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Isaiah chapter 26 verse 14. They that are dead, they shall not live. The Rephaim shall not rise. Proverbs chapter 2 verses 18 and 19. For her house, that is, the house of the strange woman, inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the Rephaim. None that go unto her return again. Compare chapter 7 verse 27. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 18. But he knoweth not that the Rephaim are there, that is, in the house of folly, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 16. The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall rest in the congregation of the Rephaim. To these may be added two quotations from Phoenician inscriptions, in which the word Rephaim occurs in reference to the departed. The Tabnith inscription, from Sidon, circa 300 BC, contains the following. And if thou do at all open me, that is, my coffin, and at all disquiet me, mayest thou have no seed among the living, under the sun, nor resting place among the Rephaim. In the inscription of Eshmunazar, king of Sidon, belonging to about the same date as the preceding, it says, For every prince and every man who shall open this resting place, or who shall take away the coffin of my resting place, or who shall carry me from this resting place, may they have no resting place with the Rephaim. All these biblical passages are post-exilic. 
they are the only ones in the Old Testament in which the Rephaim are referred to by name when the word is intended to apply to the departed. From them we gather the following points as to the beliefs regarding the Rephaim. They have emotions, since they tremble because of God. It is assumed that they are unable to arise and praise God. They recognize those who come into their abode and speak to them. They speak of themselves as being weak. There is no return from the place to which they go. The foolish man has his lot among them. The two inscriptions show that it was regarded as a punishment not to have a resting place among them, and therefore that to be among them after death was a thing to be desired. It is clear that we have here some ideas which are incompatible with each other. Let us turn to some other passages in which the Rephaim are referred to, though not mentioned by name. We will first take some that are generally recognized either as exilic or post-exilic. Isaiah chapter 38 verse 18 For Sheol cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. Job chapter 3 verses 11 through 19 Why died I not from the womb? For now should I have lain down and been quiet. I should have slept. Then had I been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth. There the wicked cease from troubling, and the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Job chapter 38 verse 17 Have the gates of death been revealed unto thee? Or hast thou seen the gates of the shadow of death? Compare Job chapter 26 verse 6. Psalm 6 verse 5 For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In Sheol who shall give thee thanks? Psalm 30 verse 9 what profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Psalm 49, verses 17 through 19. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see the light. Psalm 88, verse 5. Cast off among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more, and they are cut off from thy hand. Psalm 115, verse 17. The dead praise not, Yah, nor they that go down to silence. Ezekiel, chapter 32 verses 17 through 32. This passage, a prophetic denunciation and of coming woe upon Egypt, is too long to quote in full, but a few verses may be given. The strong, literally 
the gods of the mighty shall speak to him out of the midst of sheol with them that help him they are gone down they lie still even the uncircumcised slain by the sword verse twenty one again and they shall not lie with the mighty that are fallen of the uncircumcised who went down to sheol with their weapons of war and they laid their swords under their heads and their iniquities are upon their bones verse twenty seven and once more pharaoh shall see them and shall be comforted over all his multitude verse thirty one there are other verses in this chapter which are instructive but though cited must suffice it is clear that here again we have ideas about the dead which are quite incompatible in the passages from the psalms as well as in that from isaiah the dead are thought of as pitiable and leading a silent aimless existence god does not remember them nor they him and they are therefore without hope for his truth and all that this implies they cannot praise him nor give thanks to him they are altogether profitless for god has nothing to do with them or with the place where they are with this contrast what is said about them in the job and ezekiel passages the place where the dead are is a place of rest where the ordinary man is in the company of kings who retain their rank there there is no annoyance there those who are prisoners are at ease though master and servant are there the small and the great there is no oppression the dead are to be envied from job chapter thirty eight verse seventeen it is evident that god knows all about the place where they are and therefore presumably about them too see the whole context of this passage the ezekiel passages are very striking they represent the dead as recognizing newcomers into their abode and as speaking to them so that according to this view the dead are neither in darkness nor yet silent from verse twenty seven we gather that the prophet recognizes a kind of aristocracy in the abode of the dead and he describes how that in sheol the mighty heroes of old still have their swords and shields now let us briefly examine two pre-exilic passages others will come before us later in isaiah chapter eight verse nineteen the prophet though inveighing against the practice testifies to the existence of a prevalent custom which shows that the dead were regarded as anything but powerless shades on behalf of the living should men seek unto the dead this custom and the belief which it implies must have been ancient for centuries before these words were spoken we have the episode recounted in first samuel chapter twenty eight in the time of saul and owing to the activity of the prophet samuel the worship of Yahweh had grown so powerfully that all alien cults had been vigorously fought and to a large extent rooted out 
among these cults was that of the dead who were consulted through the medium of those who were believed to be specially initiated and saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land verse three but it shows how ingrained the practice of consulting the dead must have been when saul himself in an hour of dire necessity has recourse to it he is in great stress on account of his people's hereditary foes the philistines he therefore seeks guidance and help from Yahweh, but in vain and when saul inquired of Yahweh, Yahweh answered him not neither by dreams nor by urim nor by prophets verse six thereupon he tries the old method once more and determines to consult a woman who had a familiar spirit and who dwelt at endor and saul disguised himself and put on other raiment and went he and two men with him and they came to the woman by night and he said divine unto me i pray thee by the familiar spirit and bring me up whomsoever i shall name unto thee verse eight after some hesitation on the part of the woman she says whom shall i bring up unto thee and he said bring me up samuel the ritual of bringing up is not described but the narrative goes on and when the woman saw samuel she cried with a loud voice and the woman spake to saul saying why hast thou deceived me for thou art saul verse twelve there is some difficulty about this verse as it stands now in the hebrew text for why should the woman cry with a loud voice when she beholds samuel seeing that she expected his appearance if when saul bade her bring up samuel verse eleven she had suspected who the visitor was there would have been nothing surprising we should probably read and when the woman saw saul in hebrew the names samuel and saul look very similar and could quite easily be interchanged by mistake which is the rendering of four septuagint manuscripts that is when saul asked her to bring up samuel the request induced her to look scrutinizingly at the stranger for it was a bold thing to ask for the man who had been the moving spirit in championing the cause of Yahweh, and abolishing the very practice with which she was now occupied then on looking carefully at this visitor she recognized saul and cried aloud in fear lest she should be punished for being caught red-handed in the forbidden practice saul however reassures her then the narrative continues saul says what seest thou and the woman said unto saul i see a god that is elohim coming up out of the earth and he said unto her what form is he of and she said an old man cometh up and he is covered with a robe and saul perceived that it was samuel 
and he bowed with his face to the ground and did obeisance and samuel said to saul why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up and saul answered i am sore distressed and god is departed from me and answereth me no more neither by prophets nor by dreams therefore i have called thee that thou mayest make known unto me what i shall do and samuel said wherefore dost thou ask of me seeing jatha is departed from thee and is on the side of thy neighbour so the septuagint the hebrew text is corrupt by thy neighbour is meant david samuel then announces saul's impending ruin these two pre-exilic passages then present us with a very vivid belief in the understanding and activity of the dead on the part of the people of israel and this will be further illustrated when we deal with the subject of necromancy what these passages say about the departed agrees with what is said on the same subject in some of the passages given above while disagreeing in toto with others we have therefore to recognize two diametrically opposed sets of ideas regarding the dead there were the primitive popular ideas which had existed from time immemorial according to which the dead were of superior understanding and power to mortals hence the custom of consulting them whenever occasion arose that they are spoken of as elohim gods raises further questions which are dealt with below on the other hand there was the official belief regarding the dead this is represented in the other set of passages given above according to this the dead were to all intents and purposes non-existent at any rate in so far as dealings with them on the part of the living were concerned they were thought of as having no life in them in the ordinary sense of the word no parts nor passions mere shadows of what they once were incapable of action of any kind now it is very necessary to note that wherever this official view of the dead is represented it is always in post-exilic passages while in a few cases pre-exilic passages have been amended or altered in order to harmonize a little more with the later ideas the rise of this official point of view was due to the growth of the worship of Yahweh. it must soon have become apparent to the religious leaders in israel that the popular beliefs and practices in regard to the dead were incompatible with the belief in and worship of Yahweh and the imperative need not only of rooting out the former but of putting something else in their place presented itself forcibly but the success with which these efforts were attended was for long very moderate this will be further illustrated when we come to consider the subject of necromancy and this is why in the pre-exilic literature what may be termed the reformed doctrine of the dead never occurs excepting in passages where it is evident that a redactor has been at work for in exilic and post-exilic times 
when the people were taken from their land, all intercourse, or supposed intercourse, with the departed necessarily ceased, because for them to leave their own land would have been a thing unheard of. Then it was that the reformed doctrine really came of its own, and hence the stress laid upon it in the post-exilic literature. But how deep-seated were the popular beliefs can be realized when we find them reflected in such a passage as Ezekiel chapter 32, and those from Job quoted above. The reformed doctrine concerning the Rephaim can be illustrated in an interesting way by turning to Isaiah chapter 14 verses 9 and 10. Here the Rephaim are spoken of, and are represented as saying to the king of Babylon on his entry into their abode, Art thou also become weak as we? The root for to be weak here is not the same as that from which the Rephaim is usually supposed to come which, however, also means to be slack, or feeble, or weak. Hence, the meaning, the weak ones, usually given to the Rephaim. And this accords with the reformed teaching regarding the Rephaim. Therefore, this Isaiah passage is often quoted to support the contention that the word Rephaim comes from the root Rapha, to be weak, but, as we have seen from passages which reflect the ancient and popular view about the Rephaim, there is nothing weak about them. And, as we shall see in dealing with necromancy, the dead were regarded as possessing knowledge superior to that of mortals. If the word Rephaim occurred only in post-exilic literature, and if it were never used, excepting in reference to the dead, its derivation, as given above, could scarcely be challenged. But we have now to consider the word Rephaim in another connection. 2. The Rephaim, the name of an ancient race of giants. A very ancient race of giants, believed to have existed in Palestine of old, were known by the name of Rephaim. They are referred to quite a number of times in the Old Testament. Some of the passages are worth examining. These giants are mentioned for the first time in Genesis chapter 14 verse 5, where it is said that among those who were overcome by Kedor Laomer and the kings that were with him were the Rephaim in Ashtarot Karnaim. Compare Genesis chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. In Joshua chapter 12, verse 4, it is also said that they dwelt in Ashtarot. They lived in the forest land, according to Joshua chapter 17, verse 15. In the very early history of Israel, they were looked upon as a remnant. Joshua chapter 13, verse 12 and following. Though a late passage echoes an old tradition, that in the time of Moses these people were driven out of the land. All the kingdom of Og, the king of Bashan, which reigned in Asherot, and in Erde, the same was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. 
for these did moses spite and drave them out compare deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 20 in deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 11 also it is said for only og the king of bashan remained of the remnant of the rephaim compare deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 13 another ancient notice is preserved in deuteronomy chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 the anim dwelt therein aforetime a people great and many and tall as the anakim these also are accounted rephaim as the anakim but the moabites call them anim once more it is said in deuteronomy chapter 2 verses 20 and 21 regarding the land of ammon that also is accounted a land of rephaim rephaim dwelt there aforetime but the ammonites call them zamzumim a people great and many and tall as the anakim it is worth noting first of all that of the twenty times that the name rephaim occurs it is written fourteen times without the article and six times with the article probably men originally spoke only of rephaim the addition of the article having only arisen later when it was thought that once a race existed who were called the rephaim if this was so then rephaim was not a gentilic name further it will be seen that in comparing the various passages in which the anakim or sons of anak anim and zamzumim that is zuzim occur these were all other names for or branches of rephaim the same is true of nephilim see genesis chapter 6 verse 4 numbers chapter 13 verse 33 and compare ezekiel chapter 32 verse 27 none of these are gentilic names the nephilim were mighty men of old of the enim nothing is known but there is some justification for schvali's contention that they were believed to be serpent spirits of the zamzumim zuzim being probably a shortened form the same authority points out that it is an anomatopoetic word connected with a semitic root to hiss used of the hissing whistling sound made by the jinn of the desert in the night all these names then are enshrouded in mystery the only certain point about them being that they are all to be included under rephaim now as this word is exactly the same as that used for the departed it is not unnatural to ask if there is possibly any connection between them one is led to this especially when one remembers the diametrically opposed conceptions regarding the departed rephaim in the old testament the older passages representing them as being anything but weak or as shades more than a century ago the theory was put forward that rephaim referred to the giants who were destroyed by god from the earth 
and cast down into the underworld. Giants being equivalent to the sons of the gods and the Nephilim in Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. Then, in course of time, when this ancient myth had been gradually toned down, the name of Raphaim was used as a general designation of all the departed in the underworld. But the question still remains as to why they received this name, the ordinary derivation of it from the root meaning to be weak, Rapha, does not fit in with the facts. It is conceivable that it comes from a very similar root, Rapha, which means to heal. But why should the departed, supposing there is any justification for this derivation, be spoken of as healers? The subject will come before us again in dealing with that of necromancy. Here it must suffice to quote the words of a high authority. Quote, if one bears in mind the close ties which united divination and therapeutic among the ancients, and that men sought from the gods, above all things, the revelation of the remedies required, one will not be disinclined to regard the Raphaim as the healers par excellence, an extension of the Heros Iatros of Athens. Close quote. To realize the significance of this theory, one must take into consideration the question of ancestor worship. This subject is dealt with in chapters 8 and 9. 3. The Valley of Rephaim Among the twenty references to Rephaim mentioned in the preceding section, there are a certain number which speak of the Valley of Rephaim. There are also some others in which mention is made of parts of the country supposed to have been inhabited by Rephaim. It is probable that, in some cases, the information given is unreliable, on account of the belief of later times that Rephaim was a gentilic name. But it will be seen that, in other cases, there is considerable significance regarding the localities supposed to have been inhabited by Rephaim. One set of passages points to Bashan, together with the countries of Ammon and Moab. The two latter lie to the south of Bashan. All three are on the east of the Jordan. Ammon and Moab are mentioned only incidentally in connection with Rephaim, and are not of importance. The fact that to the east of each of them lies the desert may possibly be of significance. But as to Bashan, or rather parts of it, something must be said, especially that portion of it which touches Ammon, and to the southeast of which lies the desert. This is the part of the country wherein, in all probability, Ashtarot and Adri lay. In Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 4, mention is made of three score cities, all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og in Bashan. Compare with 1 Kings chapter 4 verse 13. Now, as to all this region, Driver says, quote, There are the remains of many ancient towns and villages in these parts, 
especially in the Leia, and on the sloping sides of the Jebal Hawan. According to Vetstein, for example, there are three hundred such ancient sites on the east and south slopes of the Jebel Hawan alone. The dwellings of these deserted localities are of a remarkable character. Some are the habitations of troglodytes, being caverns hollowed out on the mountainside, and so arranged as to form separate chambers. These are found chiefly on the east of the Jebel Hawan. Others are subterranean abodes, entered by shafts invisible from above. These are frequent on the west of the Zumle range, and at Edri the dwellings thus constructed form quite an underground city. It is not difficult to picture the effect that these cave dwellings and underground abodes and their inhabitants must have had upon the Israelite nomads when first seen, and one can understand that extraordinary stories would have sprung up among an imaginative people who had, from time immemorial, believed in the possibility of the dead appearing from their abode under the earth. What more natural than that, these stories having become traditional, later ages should have believed that these districts had in times past been one among the spots in which the giants of old, the Rephaim, were wont to appear. This would, at all events, account for those Old Testament notices which point to these parts as having been inhabited by Rephaim in days gone by. But there is another set of passages which speak of the Valley of Rephaim. This can be accurately located from the indications given. It lay immediately to the southwest of Jerusalem, between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, but much closer to the former. Why was it called the Valley of Rephaim? It may be taken for granted that all places originally got their names for some reason, and though no reason has been preserved as to why this valley was called the Valley of Rephaim, common sense suggests that it must have been on account of something connected with Rephaim. In any case, this word was applied either to the giants of old or else to the departed whichever may have come into consideration when the valley was given this name, it is evident that men believed there was something uncanny about it. Therefore, it is significant that the two outstanding things which we know of regarding this valley are just the kind of things which would be described as uncanny. First, we have the narrative in Second Samuel chapter 5, verses 17 through 25, but more especially verses 22 through 25. And the Philistines came up yet again, and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of Yahweh, he said, Thou shalt not go up. Make a circuit behind them, and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And it shall be, when thou hearest the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, for then 
is Yahweh gone out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. Compare First Chronicles chapter 14, verses 8 through 17. Here is a strange piece of folklore. Yahweh is supposed to come into the trees or upon the treetops, so that David may receive a sign for beginning his attack. Was this really believed of Yahweh? It is possible, but we doubt it. It seems more likely that the action was imputed to Yahweh in later times, incongruous as it was, in order to tone down the heathen practice which was originally referred to. The numberless instances on record, even at the present day, of the belief that spirits of the departed come into trees and are there ready to help over and over again for the purpose of healing those by whom they are revered suggests the high probability that something of the same kind was believed to have taken place on this occasion it would have tallied with the valley's repute next we have the passage Joshua chapter 15 verse 8. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom unto the side of the Jebusite southward. The same is Jerusalem. And the border went up to the top of the mountain that lieth before the valley of Hinnom westward, which is at the uttermost part of the valley of Rephaim. A similar notice occurs in chapter 18 verse 16. The description of the position of the valley of Rephaim, therefore, agrees with what is said in the other passages. The special point to notice here is that the valley of the son of Hinnom is part of the valley of Rephaim, although there is diversity of opinion among experts as to the exact position of the valley of the son of Hinnom. This does not affect the present inquiry for all seem agreed that it formed part of or the extension of the valley of rephaim from warren quote, whatever view is taken of the position of the valley of hinnom all writers concur in its extending to the junction of the three valleys of jerusalem before siloam that is there must be one spot below siloam which all agree in making a portion of the valley of Hinnom. The evil repute of this valley is referred to in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 31 and 32. And they have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that it shall no more be called Topeth, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, for they shall bury in Topeth till there be no place to bury. Compare chapter 19, verse 6, also chapter 19, verses 12 and 13. And the houses of Jerusalem, and the houses of the kings of Judah, which are defiled, shall be as the place of Topeth, even all the houses upon whose roofs they have burned incense unto all the host of heaven, 
and have poured out drink offerings unto other gods different cults are referred to here but among them one may surmise was the cult of the dead raphaim it is certain from for example isaiah chapter fifty seven verse six that drink offerings were poured out to the dead but the really significant point about the valley of hinnom from our present point of view is that it became a symbol of the place of the wicked departed or perhaps it would be more strictly true to say that the idea of the valley of hinnom was transferred to the next world the name of this place is more familiar in its abbreviated hebrew form gehenna ge means valley the ever ascending smoke from it was pointed to as its being the entrance to the place of torment beneath the earth from the various data then that have been given we believe there is some justification for the contention that at one time there was in the minds of the israelites a direct connection between the rephaim conceived of as the giants of old and the rephaim as used of the shades of the departed and that the valley of rephaim originally received its name from the belief the reasons for which it is now no more possible to trace that the souls of the departed were in some way directly connected with it. End of chapter 6